Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 221. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. April is over, and May is here, and it's supposed to be the time for flowers. Well, we'll see about that. But next week is Teacher Appreciation Week, a reminder of how much our teachers do and how much there's always out there to learn. And this is definitely a time to learn and definitely a time to stay vigilant. We don't attack Putin or Moscow. We fight on on our territory. We are defending our villages and cities. We don't have, you know, enough weapon for this. That's why we don't use it anywhere. For, For us, that is the deficit. We, we can't spend it. And we didn't attack Putin. We leave it to tribunal. Two explosions occurred 15 minutes apart over the Kremlin early Wednesday. Russia claims Ukraine launched a drone attack on the Kremlin, which wouldn't be the first drone attack inside Russia. But two explosions occurred 15 minutes apart over the Kremlin early on Wednesday. And the video footage has been verified by the New York Times and others and set off a flurry of accusations and tension between Russia and Ukraine. Russia claimed Ukraine was behind a drone attack. Ukraine denied it. Zelensky is much more diplomatic and cool than I'd be if I were him. If my kids were being bombed, my cities were being occupied, and my country was being ransacked, I would have attacked the Kremlin and tried to kill Putin long ago. And I'd be trying to do it every day. And some are calling this incident Russian propaganda, created as a reason to justify more brutality from Russian forces ahead of a looming Ukrainian spring offensive we've all been waiting for. And we covered in-depth last episode with Adrian Bonnenberg, an American army ranger who is somewhere in Ukraine right now. Whatever this is, it's a reminder that the war in Ukraine will rage on this May and all summer long and maybe beyond. But in Ukraine, the wait is over for reinforcements. After almost a year of refusals and hesitation, Patriot air defense missile systems from the U.S. have finally arrived and are operational in Ukraine. That's vital because the fighting continues and so does the dying, which this week included a U.S. Marine veteran. He was killed in Ukraine, risking his life to help others in need. He was a helper, and he was a teacher. His name was Cooper Andrews. He joined the Marine Corps in 2017 and served as a ground electronics transmission systems maintainer until 2022. His mom said he was drawn to the Marines because he felt like they were the branch that most often conducted humanitarian assistance missions. Cooper was an Eagle Scout, He fought wildfires as a volunteer firefighter. He joined the Marine Corps and went to Ukraine, where he was ultimately killed on April 19th while helping civilians evacuate the city of Bakhmud, the scene of intense combat for months. Cooper Andrews was committed to democratic ideals at a very early age. 
He read about Winston Churchill, and during middle school, he told his mom he wanted to learn about the Constitution. So she found constitutional law books for him to study. Cooper Andrews stood on the line in defense of freedom. And we salute him and so many others that have risked their lives in defense of Ukraine and in defense of all of us. The war rages on in Ukraine this May. And that, after an April and a March and a February and a January and after more than a year of shelling and war. And yet there are still flowers blooming in Ukraine this May. And there is still hope. And there is still lots of fight and much more to come. This will be a spring, and likely a summer, of fighting all across Ukraine. And unfortunately, fighting of different kinds also here in America. Some on behalf of partisan forces, some on behalf of independent forces, some on behalf of authoritarian forces. And whether it's in Ukraine or Uvalde, this will be a spring and a summer of learning. And we all have much to learn. So as we near Teacher Appreciation Week, it's a time to be grateful for all the teachers and to reflect on how much they teach us and how much we all still have to learn, especially in this moment in America and in the world when stakes have never been higher. We often learn the most when the stakes are the highest. And good teachers help us keep our eyes on the future and ground us in how much we all have to learn. And our guest coming up will give us all a bit of a lesson on politics and especially the state of our independent movement. Over the last year of this show, we've gone back and forth between two key areas of study, national and global security, with a particular focus on Ukraine, and our rising independent movement an independent movement that now encompasses at least 49% of Americans, and maybe even more. And we'll learn more about the scope of all of it in the critical years ahead. But before we do a deep dive on that, a few critical quick updates that Professor Rykoff wants to make sure are on the blackboard, or now on your smart board, or as my seven-year-old has, your Promethean board. Yes, that's a thing, and he has it. These are things that need your attention and need to be on your own personal learning radar. Here's something I learned this week, and I wanted to share. The House has defeated a measure to remove U.S. troops from Somalia by a vote of 321 to 102. Yes, Somalia. The measure was sponsored by radical and ridiculous Republican Florida Congressman Matt Gates, along with more radical and ridiculous electeds, including Paul Gozar of Arizona, Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, Anna Paulina Luna of Florida, and George Santos of New York. Now, you probably didn't know that about 500 U.S. Special Operation Forces are estimated to be in Somalia as part of a permanent U.S. presence there to counter the Al-Shabaab terrorist group. 
They were deployed nearly a year ago by the Biden administration in a reversal of the decision by Trump to remove the 750 troops that had previously been deployed to the Horn of Africa country. Did you even know we had troops in Somalia? I'll bet you didn't. I didn't even know how many it was until last week. So we both probably learned something. And there is much to learn when it comes to national security issues, because most of the media rarely even covers it. They barely even cover when Americans are killed. Last week, three U.S. Army soldiers were killed, and one was injured after a helicopter crash in Alaska. Officials say the choppers collided midair during a training mission, and a long investigation will be underway. The three soldiers killed were Chief Warrant Officer Christopher Robert Aramo, 39, of Oneonta, New York. Chief Warrant Officer Second Class Kyle D. McKenna, 28, of Colorado Springs, Colorado, and Warren Officer First Class Stuart Dwayne Waymont, 32 years old, of North Logan, Utah. The Army announced the next day it was grounding aviation units for training after 12 soldiers had died within the last month in this crash and one in Kentucky. It's terrible news, news you need to know about and need to learn about. And it's another tragic reminder of just how dangerous being a soldier is. Whether it's in combat or training, it's just an incredibly dangerous job. And if you want to help the families, you've learned about it on this show, please support TAPS, Tragedy Assistance Program Survivors, at TAPS.org. They'll be there, as they always are. And that's some more info you need to know. And somewhat related, here's some more national security news that you need to learn about. And it's regarding Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville, who is an asshole. Yes, Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama is stalling promotions for more than 150 generals and flag-grade officers. He's throwing a massive wrench in the entire Pentagon because of a crusade he's got against abortion. It has nothing to do with our military. He's throwing a temper tantrum, and he is getting in the way of our national security at a critical time all over his crusade against abortion. It's shameful, it's reckless, and it's radical. It's hurting our national security, mixing it into his radical politics on abortion. Mixing the two is outrageous, and, of course, our enemies are celebrating. This move by Tuberville is so asinine, so reckless, so stupid, I had to go back a bit and bring you an old favorite segment from the earlier days of this show. So, especially for Senator Tommy Tuberville, this one goes out to you. I drive really slow in the ultra-fast lane While people behind me are going insane I'm on a Yep, I'm bringing it back. This episode, Senator Tommy Tuberville is our asshole of the week. And I hope you'll help me teach others about what he's doing. While our Pentagon is busy supporting the war in Ukraine, defending against China, and, oh, preparing for Memorial Day later this month, Tommy Tuberville is stopping all senior military promotions. And people need to learn about it. And Memorial Day is coming, which will be a bank holiday. And speaking of banks, there's been a lot of banking news to report on lately and to learn about. If you haven't heard, Troubled Bank First Republic was seized and sold to J.P. Morgan Chase. 
and I can give you the cliff notes on all of this, J.P. Morgan wins again. And at the end of the day, nobody likes bankers in America, really, I think, except for rich people and bankers. And if I were a betting man, I say that that outrage directed at bankers and banks is likely to continue and increase in May and in the days to come. Unfortunately, just like shootings in America. And there's been another one, another angry, crazy person shooting. Five people are dead after being shot at their Texas home when a shooter reportedly went to the victim's home and shot up the place after they asked him to stop his shooting because their baby couldn't sleep. And he told them, I'll do what I want in my front yard. Five people are dead. The youngest victim in the shooting was eight years old. And two female victims were discovered in the bedroom lying on top of two surviving children. In their final moments, two of the victims shielded their children and saved their lives. They're another example of helpers. Helpers that shouldn't have to help in tragedies like this. We've covered it on this show at length. Mass and school shootings have become our new normal in America. And angry, crazy person shootings are about to join them. And with this many angry and scared people in America with guns, this is probably just the start of a new wave that undoubtedly has our enemies celebrating. And right before I sat down to record this show, there was another one. This time in Atlanta. Authorities were searching for hours for a 24-year-old that opened fire in the waiting room of a hospital, killing a 39-year-old woman and sending a bunch of other people to the hospital. And the suspect was a former Coast Guardsman. According to CNN, the suspect's mother said he was seeking new treatment after being dissatisfied with the care he was receiving from the Department of Veterans Affairs. And if that's true, he isn't the first. And unfortunately... He won't be the last. And we'll all learn more about this case in the days to come. Every shooting is a sad and tragic chance to learn more. And the ones in schools especially are a reminder of how much we should and must appreciate our teachers. Not just during Teacher Appreciation Week, but always. There's lots to learn, and this is a time for learning. When I dropped my four-year-old off at preschool this week, there was a sign on the door that said, Teachers are just superheroes in disguise. And that is so true, especially in times like these. So I want to send a thank you out to all of you out there who teach our children and serve in the most noble and important way possible. You are true superheroes. And I want to wish you a happy Teacher Appreciation Week to all of you. It's Teacher Appreciation Week every week in our house and on this show. You show us all what is out there and what we can be. And with that, it's a time for all of us to continue to learn on this show about how much we have to learn and about our independent movement. Good teachers show us what we can do. And if you're a fan of Nas, the guy you heard there, 
you've learned from him too, especially about what's possible. And our guest in this episode will help us do the same. Nick Troiano has been involved in the political reform movement for over a decade, including running for Congress in 2014 as an independent candidate himself. He's a civic entrepreneur based in Denver, Colorado, and he's the executive director of Unite America, a national organization that's working to bridge the growing partisan divide by working for political reforms and electing candidates who claim to put people over party. Be what I wanna be. If I work hard at it, I'll be where I wanna be. Nick worked for Change.org on change politics, and he was named to the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for law and policy. And in 2014, he ran for the U.S. House of Representatives from Pennsylvania's 10th District and drew lots of attention across the country as both the youngest candidate and the most successful independent candidate of the cycle, getting over 22,000 votes. So act your age, don't pretend to be older than you are Give yourself time to grow You're thinking he can give you wealth, but so young boys You can use a lot of help, you know You're thinking life's all about smoking weed and ice You don't want to be my agent, can't read and write He's organized and supported student groups at hundreds of colleges nationwide He's got a master's degree in American government from Georgetown And he's spoken to tons of groups about youth engagement, political reform And fiscal issues all across the country including three national bus tours that visited over 40 states. He's been across media, TV, radio, and print, and featured in three documentaries. Nick is out there working, and teaching, and showing independence that we can. Welcome to another lesson in politics, civic engagement, movement building, and patriotism. Welcome to a course in the independent movement. Welcome to a look into what's possible and what we can do. Welcome to Teacher Appreciation Week. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 221. Save the music, y'all. Save the music, y'all. Save the music, y'all. Save the music. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world. Happy May. It's finally here. The April showers have ended and the May showers are kind of continuing. But we're going to stay on top of many issues and specifically what's happening in the independent, unaffiliated political reform movement. And our guest uh, in this episode is a perfect person to take us through it. Somebody I've admired uh, for a long time and is finally here on the show at the perfect time. The great and powerful Nick Troiano joins us finally on Independent Americans. Welcome, sir. Thank you for having me, Paul. Pleasure to be here. It's great to have you, man. This is this is a wild time in politics, but especially in what you do, right? It is. I think uh, in this election reform, political reform movement, it's gone from big ideas to now big proofs of concept, big progress, big impact. So we've moved from concept to reality in so many more ways. And I think uh, that's inspiring at a moment where I think our politics are otherwise giving us a lot to despair about. You've been a voice of reason on uh, cable news and online and on the ground. And I want to talk about the Gallup poll numbers that I talked a bit with John Updike about. I want to talk about the landscape. I want to talk about your experience um, but I always ground our conversations with an opening question. 
Where are you, Nick, and how are you? Uh, I'm currently in Denver, Colorado, and doing great. I think the change of the season uh, has gotten uh, new uh, energy uh, for me and around the office, and uh, excited to uh, leverage all the great outdoors here in Colorado. Summertime is a great um, way to go hiking and just be able to take advantage of everything in our backyard. So couldn't be doing better. Colorado must be very excited about the Nuggets right now. I don't know if that if that's infecting everyone out there, but they they look like the team to beat right now in the NBA. That's what I hear. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, my focus on politics has left me awfully uh, uh, not very up to speed on sports. Well, it's it's understandable given what you've been what you've been focused on. So let's start if we can, Nick. I, I think one of the bigger at least conversation pieces in the last couple of months is, has been maybe a bit of um, data around what we see as this rising and growing and deepening independent movement of folks that say they want none of the above. And the new Gallup poll numbers said 49% of the people that they spoke to now consider themselves independent, a record high number since they've been polling. What's your analysis of, of those numbers, that poll and maybe the overall size and scope of, of what we, at least on this show, call the independent movement. I think the rise of independence is a, a strong signal of the dissatisfaction that most Americans have with both major political parties and how those parties are failing to govern and produce results on issues that people care about. And I think there are now almost an equivalent amount, if not more, people who consider themselves to be independents than Democrats or Republicans. But you wouldn't know that by looking at who's representing us in Congress or the talking heads on television, because our government right now is not representative of the people. Uh, you know, out of 435 members of our House, not a single one is an independent or of a third party for that matter. Um, and even more so, they're not working together to uh, actually represent the views and values of most Americans. And so from our perspective, that's indicative of an election system that is not designed to produce those kinds of outcomes. And if we want to fix the politicians and the outcomes in Washington or in our state capitals, we have to fix the system. And that's certainly what we're focused on. I want to, I want to dig deeper into that, but I also want to stay on an idea I've explored with a couple of guests, which is the branding of independence and that lack of elected leadership it's also reflected in, frankly, like a lack of national leadership. If you asked Americans who is an independent, I don't know what they would say. I mean, that'd be an interesting polling question. But we've had folks like John Updike on the show. We've had Andrew Yang on the show. Christy Todd Whitman's been on the show. Now you are on the show. You are a leader, I think, in this independent movement, especially because of your media profile. But are there others that you think of that you think represent the values that you are focused on that you talk about, whether they're elected at a local level or in philanthropy or business or somewhere else, who do you think of as, as the current um, good leaders for independence and maybe some of the rising leaders that folks may not know about? Yeah, mostly I'm a proud independent. I have been uh, for the last decade. And I'm also really proud to be in a movement that is bringing in Democrats, Republicans, and independents, because Part of what it means to be an independent to me is that your party affiliation just doesn't matter. What matters is what we can accomplish collectively for the good of the country. Within the independent sphere, there are incredible leaders. And back in 2018, when we were focused on supporting some of those leaders, 
we had folks like Greg Orman, who's run for office as for Senate and governor in Kansas. We had folks like Terry Hayes, who served as state treasurer in Maine, and Bill Walker, who served uh, as governor in Alaska. And so at the state level, I do think uh, there are great leaders who, not just in words, but in deeds, have demonstrated what it means to be an independent. You think for yourself. You are able to use common sense and find common ground to solve problems. Uh, you believe in integrity and transparency and accountability in politics. It's not about a policy litmus test. It's very much about an approach to governance that puts people first. And when we were working with those independents, we actually um, came up with what we called a declaration of independence, which was about what these principles are and, and, and what they mean. And I think that's important because the 49% of Americans who consider themselves to be independent are not monolithic in terms of their policy views or ideology, but it is a principle, I think, approach to what politics means, what public service means that is differentiated, I think, from uh, both major political parties. I feel like for what I would call the true independence and folks who are really looking for an authenticity, there's kind of a, a sense of, um, you know it when you see it. And, and I don't know how to capture that. I mean, if you look back at everybody from, you know, Jesse Ventura to Steve Forbes, all these other folks who've been branded as independents or run as independents. And now you see folks like cinema and others that are kind of grasping onto this idea of, of being an independent. Um, what do you, how do you respond when folks say Angus King is in the Senate and he's an independent and Bernie Sanders is in the Senate and technically he's, a, he's an independent. What, what's your response to that? I would say they are. I mean, I think anyone's welcome to self-identify in the way that they would like to. I think in some cases it's transparent when uh, individuals do this for their own political self-interest rather than just a principled mm. uh, approach. Uh, but I do think independents are a wide political tent. And just because someone might be on one end of the political spectrum or the other doesn't make them any more or less an independent. As I was saying, I think it's more about an approach to governance where you're focused on putting the results you're trying to achieve and the people that you're trying to serve first before some kind of party loyalty. And that party loyalty was something that, of course, our founders feared, right? When they warned us about the mischiefs that so-called factions would have in our politics. And while political parties are important and play, I think, a critical role in organizing democracy, uh, they have their excesses, right? Uh, it's important to have uh, philosophy uh, to govern the way that you legislate. Uh, but it's not great when ideology prevents a pragmatic approach to problem solving, right? Or it's helpful when people can aggregate their views and organize collectively under you know, the tent of a political party. It's not great when that interests of that party supersede the interests of what's good for the country. So mm. I think there's nothing inherently wrong about a political party. It's, it's actually um, trying to be cognizant and aware of the excesses that can really undermine democracy in our country. And frankly, our two-party system and the way that it has self-sorted, the way that the parties have come to control our elections is actually now a threat to the survival of American democracy. Uh, and that's what we have to address if we want this great experiment of ours to continue on. Well, you know, I, I share that view and I share your, your sense of urgency I, I look forward to the day when there's an independent caucus in the Senate or in, and in the House or in the Hill in any way. Um, but in the meantime, we're, you know, we're stuck kind of looking for leaders and trying to elevate leaders while you're doing the structural reform on the ground. And then I think because the, the independent brand is so exciting 
and also so malleable, you've got this, I think, almost, um, you know, every four years, you've got the fear mongering around independence, right? And I think that's happened now with the no labels conversation around running a, a, a split ticket, um, uh, split party ticket for president. Can you talk about that? I mean, right now, it looks like we're going to have Trump versus Biden. Uh, there's going to be talk of third party candidates. Someone like Tulsi Gabbard could run. Someone like Cinema could run. And groups like No Labels and others could put a ticket up. Um, do you feel like that sets us back? Does that give us a bad name as independents because people view them as spoilers? In this case, most likely a spoiler that would benefit Trump. Um, can you break down your analysis on that since you've been working in this space for so many years and it seems to be? Almost every four years, we have a presidential and, and people get all pissed off at independence. Well, I think first, my first reaction is you mentioned the prospect of a Trump-Biden rematch to most Americans. And you can see from the look of their face or their body language of uh, not thrilled with the options, right? And right. so, and that's not necessarily a critique on those individuals personally, because this seems to be a perennial issue. Uh, there's only a, maybe a couple of elections where uh, I think people voted in, with enthusiasm for a particular candidate rather than against uh, another. And that I think is rooted in the fact of we're in a country of over 330 million people. We only get two choices. And uh, that doesn't quite serve us well on the on the presidential level. I think other countries, when you look at France, for example, they have a two round election system and multiple parties can put forward leaders. If no one gets a majority, there is a there is a runoff and there's very little actual actual um, decrease in turnout between those elections. And you had uh, back in 2017, uh, a far right and far left candidate. And then you had Emmanuel Macron come out of nowhere with this unmarched movement and be able to win the presidency without the backing of a major party. Why did that happen there? And that has not happened in the United States. Well, I think it's a function of our you know, election system where even though people are dissatisfied with their two major options, the threat of how a third candidate could quote unquote spoil the election ultimately by November time and again shows that those candidates have a very hard time either breaking through or, you know, keeping their attraction. So if we're un unsatisfied with our choices, I think we really do have to look at systemic reforms that can widen uh, that spectrum of candidate choice in our, in our politics generally, but especially in our presidential elections. Nick, um, for folks watching on video, they can see that Unite America is on the walls and behind you. It's the organization you now lead. Um, it's Teacher Appreciation Week in America, and I feel like you've been teaching America, especially on cable news, um, about these issues for a long time. Um, but the organization that you're running and that's working on the ground is Unite America. Can you, for folks who aren't political insiders or who haven't maybe seen you on on, on uh, the news, um, can you tell them what is Unite America? You know, what do you, what, what do you want to achieve, and what's your strategy to do it? So Unite America is a philanthropic venture fund that invests in election reform, mostly at the state level around the country, with the vision of trying to foster a more representative and functional government. Uh, so our mission is not per se to advance uh, only independence. It is to advance a government that represents everyone, including independents who happen to lack a voice in our government right now. So that's worth clarifying a, a bit. I think the other uh, 
major problem that we're trying to solve is one that I've referred to as the primary problem. It is the it is the role that party primaries play in our politics in a way that disenfranchise voters and distort representation and ultimately lead to a lot of the division and dysfunction that we see. And so our North Star uh, is to abolish party primaries in America. Uh, and there are many models to do so. Some states will replace them with nonpartisan primaries. So there's a unified ballot and all, all the candidates run on one primary, and then the top finishers go to the general election. Some states like Louisiana has actually gotten rid of primaries. So this is the laboratories of democracy in our, in our system of federalism, where every state can take a unique approach to solving this problem. But the biggest solvable problem in our politics right now is the impact that party primaries are playing. And to the extent we can solve them, I think it will level the playing field for other candidates outside of Team Red and Team Blue to run effective campaigns and to potentially be elected. So we're working to support state leaders and state organizations all around the country that are uh, advancing these election reforms. Nick, you, you, you and I, um, I think, share uh, a sense of priorities. We've, we've, uh, we're both fans of John Updike and the work of many others that are working out in the field. But I've also um, seen, frankly, like a lack of ammunition. We're talking about big problems here. And I've said it before, I, I, sometimes I feel like Zelensky, like I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. And I feel like you, John, me, so many others that are working in this space um, need more money need more ammunition to be able to make these massive and critical and urgent uh, transformative changes. Do you have any sense of what the actual philanthropic landscape is relative to other things? Um, do you have a comp or, or something else you can compare it to? We used to talk in the veteran space about how small veterans philanthropy ranked in the overall top 20. It wasn't even in the top 20 compared to cancer or homelessness or other issues. Can you give us a sense of what, what the landscape is right now? There was a study done a couple of years ago that showed the nonpartisan democracy movement as a whole, of which election reform is a part, was about $150 million a year uh, philanthropic space, which can sound like a lot of money, but it's relative to you know $8 billion a year plus being spent on partisan politics uh, and hundreds of billions of dollars that are spent charitably. And so our view is not only do we need to uh, accelerate the resources being invested in democracy reform. Um, we need to make the case that those are some of the highest return on investments one can make because you're investing upstream of where there's a lot of challenges in society and you're fixing the incentive structure for our leaders to actually be better equipped to solve those problems. So whether you care about climate or immigration or education or the federal budget, Investing in a healthy democracy is probably the best investment we could make and is the fundamental challenge of our time. You know, we have lots of philanthropy going to good causes from hospitals and universities and the arts, for example. We'd like to see some major gifts uh, being given to endow our democracy with a system that can endure, you know, for our time. And so that is the focus of where Unite America uh is today is in trying to build a cross-partisan philanthropic community to help invest in many of the great organizations and leaders out there because we have amazing leaders in this movement uh, from across the political spectrum that are working and grinding it out in state capitals and in local communities around the country and to your point they need ammunition and our uh mission is to try and uh, get them that well nick you you've not only been um you know, in the war room and been at the strategic level, you've also led by example. You know, you're reflective of this movement 
in that we see so many young people uh, who are declaring as independents or refusing to affiliate themselves with either party. In 2014 in Pennsylvania, you actually ran as an independent for Congress. Um, not too many folks have done that. So I think it's a really unique perspective and insight. Can you share with us, what was that like? What, what did you learn? And what does that tell us about the prospects and potential for independent candidates in the future? It was one of the best experiences I've ever had uh, in my activism and in my professional journey in election reform. And the reason was because no matter how much we can wring our hands about how dysfunctional the system seems and how corrupt it may seem, my own experience was being 25 years old at the time, going out to collect 7,500 signatures from people I didn't know and also friends and neighbors was we still have the tools. I somehow got my name on the ballot. I somehow shared the debate stage with the incumbent congressman, was able to hold him accountable in a way that uh, no one else at the time was. And at the end of the day, when people went to the voting booth, everyone still got one vote to decide that election. And even though I didn't win and wasn't even close, although we did better than any independent in 20 years, uh, it demonstrated to me that we still have the tools of our democracy at our disposal to make the difference. And we just need to keep working to build the infrastructure, recruit the leaders, fix the system so that this movement of people who want to see a better politics can express itself. And that was clear to me in 2014 in Pennsylvania's 10th district on election day. I'll never forget going polling location by polling location to visit with volunteers who are out there handing lit literature. And there was a Green Party member. There was a Libertarian. There was a Democrat. There was a Republican. It was not just independence. It was people who were dissatisfied with the status quo who got involved in the campaign. And um, it demonstrated to me that there's uh, kindling out there for this movement. And it's one that, of course, I've stuck with. My biggest takeaway from that campaign being, um, if we want to uh, elect better leaders, we're going to need to fix the system at a, at a more structural uh, way. Mm. I, I admire and appreciate and salute the fact that you did it and, and that also that it guides your um, your work now in, in so many important ways. You understand it at the strategic level, at the tactical level, but also at the personal level, at that kind of gut level. I think John Uptake talked very smartly on this show about how being independent is, is, a, is a cultural decision. It's a it's a social decision. It's an emotional decision. It's much more than just a political affiliation. Um, and I think your your perspective gives you a really important understanding about that. Nick, as uh, you're going to stick around um, for our Patreon members. My thanks to them for supporting this work and my thanks to you for sticking around for that. But before, before we get to that and wrap up, when you look at the landscape, where do you, if this is a battlefield, a political battlefield, where are the hotspots? We've covered, uh, we've on this show, we've kind of gone back and forth between covering national security and Ukraine and covering the independent movement, but there are some parallels here, right? There's there's a battle underway. And wh where's our back move? You know, John talked about Pennsylvania, where you ran for office before. Where do you see as the key hotspots or areas people can help the movement in the next couple of months that will be most critical? Well, I, I think right now, the front of our war should be the 15 states that systemically disenfranchise independents from even being able to vote in primary elections that so often dictate the ultimate outcome of these elections. So there are over 11 million uh, Americans who literally cannot access the ballot box in those consequential elections. It's unfair. It's undemocratic. It's an injustice. And we ought to be organizing in each of those states to change those laws 
some of which we can do through legislative efforts, some of which you can actually do uh, at the ballot. I do think Pennsylvania is a good example of that, where there's a great um, legislative effort being led by ballot uh, PA. There's also uh, efforts right now in states like South Dakota, which is collecting signatures to not just allow independents to participate, but to uh, replace the party primaries with a nonpartisan primary. So um, that's one thought. The other is that in Alaska, where there is a great model of a top four primary and instant runoff general election, it's already demonstrated its impact in its first use last year. You know, the same electorate, which is majority independent in that state, uh, elected a conservative Republican governor, a moderate Republican senator, a moderate Democratic House member, the same voters. And what they, uh, the system allowed them to do is make that nuanced decision of which person, not just which party, right? So we have to protect the Alaska system. Of course, um, by defanging the political extremes, those uh, people who now find themselves out of power are coming back with a vengeance to try and repeal the system. So we need to double down and protect that uh, effort in Alaska, which a group called Alaskans for Better Elections is, is doing. Those are two uh, uh, fronts of this uh, war that you described that I think are super important over the next uh, couple of years. Nick, can I ask, can we pull one part of that apart? Because I want to go deeper into, into the battlefield, right? Uh, we are often fighting the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. Um, in some of those states, the parties are going to be fighting tooth and nail. In Alaska, I mean, one of the other outcomes is the more extreme candidates lost. Candidates like Sarah Palin, right? That was very high profile and I think radical, considered extreme. Looks like the members of uh, the, the Alaskan voting bloc considered her extreme. Um, but we've seen the GOP in particular attack that, uh, attack that example and say, look at how Sarah Palin got screwed by this reform. Can, can you talk about who is opposing you on, on that battlefield specifically? You're outgunned, you're being uh, crafty and waging kind of a guerrilla campaign, but who are the conventional forces, for example, in Alaska and in Pennsylvania that you're up against? Whoever is in power and benefits from the status quo. So that can be one party, both parties, a different party in, a, in a, any particular uh, state. But I would like to challenge the premise of that to make the case to these political parties that the system itself is not benefiting them either. You know, if their goal is to be able to organize around a political agenda and enact that political agenda, the system itself is screeching to a halt with gridlock. No one's being served by this system. And even more acutely, I think we've seen example after example where the primary system has produced unrepresentative nominees for both parties that they have then gone on to lose the general election. So whether that's Kurt Schrader, you know, who was a pragmatic Democrat in Oregon who lost his primary, then the seat flipped to Republican in the general election, or the half dozen Senate seats where Republicans have nominated election denying candidates that went on to then lose uh, those elections and therefore the U.S. Senate, I think both parties ought to reconsider and um, and see how they too you know, can benefit from a more competitive system where they can advance candidates that are appealing to the broader uh, electorate. Hmm. Especially right now, as we have this conversation, the debt ceiling debate is ripping the country apart. Um, you know, there's paralysis around basic operating functions of the government. There's the rise of, of threats ranging from China to AI, and it feels like our government is unable to, to meet those challenges. I think April was full of showers and May is, is, is 
showing some signs of flowers. And I think a lot of that is your hard work and so many others that have been laying the seeds for many, many years. So it's going to be an exciting summer and an important year. And I just want to thank you for, for your leadership. You're a patriot. Um, you're a change maker. You've been an inspiration and you've been an educator to this country and in and, and, and a time that's been really important. You're a real voice of reason. And I want to thank you for coming on the show. I hope you'll come back again. Um, but most of all, thank you for all your leadership, man. Uh, I really appreciate that back at you. So glad that you've built this platform and community because we need uh, platforms like this to organize the the independent and pro-reform movement that's out there. And my last thought is you, you've brought up Ukraine and Zelensky. And, uh, been, you know, I remember sitting with a group of people wondering, you know, how, how did he do it? What, what was the special sauce there that led the whole Western world to rally to his support and that country to be able to beat back in amazing ways, the aggression of Russia. And uh, two things came out, which was one, moral clarity. It's just, it's the clarity of what's right and wrong. And second was courageous leadership. Uh, People who were able to step up and and, uh, take the fight to the enemy, so to speak. And so moral clarity and courageous leadership are what we need to win in this movement. And I know that you've asked about what national leaders exhibit that. Uh, I will also submit that Leadership is not a function of one's position or prominence. Anyone can uh, be that kind of leader. And one of the most gratifying parts of being in this movement is seeing that leadership uh, manifest in all types of people at all levels, from grassroots organizers to campaign leaders uh, to legislators. And so I just think we have to be a leaderful movement and, um, you know, if we're going to be able to succeed. So thank you for inspiring that in so many out there. Well, you've issued a call to action. I know folks will answer it uh, and we'll continue to track your work and support you on this show and hope to have you back again soon. Uh, Nick, thanks for all you do, my friend. Stay vigilant. Thank you, Paul. All right, there's your lesson this week, students, for Teacher Appreciation Week. You can be reminded that the helpers are out there, and Nick is one of them. Check out more about his work at uniteamerica.org and follow him on all the social media platforms. He's part of a movement that is growing and teaching and showing how helpers all across America can help. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Keep checking the hashtag look for the helpers on social media and share yours. Look for them. They're out there in times that are good, in times that are bad. And the best among our helpers are teachers. And teachers come in many forms. And as the NBA playoffs hit fever pitch, basketball is no exception. And as any good teacher will tell you, you can often learn more from your losses than from your victories. I don't want to make it personal. So, there's always steps to it. You know, um, Michael Jordan played 15 years, won six championship. The other nine years was a failure? That's what you're telling me? No, I'm asking you a question. Yes or no? Okay, exactly. So why are you asking me that question? It's a wrong question. There's no failure in sports. 
You know, there's good days, bad days. Some days, some days you are able to uh, be successful. Some days you're not. Some days it's your turn. Some days it's not your turn. And that's what sports about. You don't always win. Some other other people's gonna win. And this year, somebody else is gonna win. Similar as that. We're gonna come back next year. Try to be better. Try to build good habits. Try to um, play better. Not have a ten days stretch with uh, playing bad basketball. You know, and hopefully we can win a championship. So 50 years from 1971 to 2021 that we didn't win a championship, it was 50 years of failures. No, it was not. It was steps to it, you know, and we were able to win one. Hopefully we can win another one. If you don't know that voice and that clip, that's Giannis Iconetumbo. That's why Giannis is my favorite player in the league. He's the dominant player on the Milwaukee Bucks team that just got knocked out of the playoffs. They were the number one seed, and they went down in a big surprise defeat. Now, it sucks to have him out of the playoffs this early, but when I hear him speak, I always think about all the things he's going to do when he's done playing basketball. He's a powerful and important leader, not just for basketball, but for the world, and especially for kids. And he's a teacher dropping lessons not just on basketball and leadership, but in life. And he's what being a helper looks like, much more off the court than on. So look for the helpers and keep sharing them. And when you're on social media, please join me and play Guess the Guest every Wednesday night. You can learn who our upcoming guest is. You can take a shot and win fame and fortune. Well, just really some notoriety on my social media. But you can guess the guest on social media every Wednesday. And while you're there, be sure to check out independentamericans.us, where you can support this show by joining our Patreon community. Big shout out to all of our Patreon members. Thank you for making this possible. You can join them, and you can get exclusive content with Nick and see all of our recent episodes and get sneak previews and get discounts on our merchandise, which is also available at independentamericans.us. If you want to get an early Mother's Day gift, If you want to get a Father's Day gift, if you want to get a July 4th gift, go to independentamericans.us and learn more. And as you continue your quest for learning, a reminder that every Thursday in the 11 o'clock Eastern hour, check out me in a weekly segment on News Nation with Marnie Hughes. We will continue to focus on national security, vets, and political issues, and it'll always be posted on the website and in our social media. And I will continue to do my best to do my bit to teach America about our national security and about politics and about the stories you might have missed. And help your family and friends stay up to date on the latest in our independent movement and these national security issues that many people miss. Subscribe for free wherever you got this podcast, wherever you're listening now. Make sure you subscribe and go ahead and give your friends and family the gift of learning and share this episode with a couple of them now. Yes, May is the time of Teacher Appreciation Week, and it's an exciting month of learning and of growth and of sports, as I talked about last episode. The NFL draft was great, finished up over the weekend with lots of great stories, young men's lives who were shaped not only by coaches but also by teachers. And it included the story of Andre Carter II, who wasn't actually drafted but was signed as a free agent by the Minnesota Vikings right after the draft. And this is notable because he is a player at the United States Military Academy. He was the first guy from West Point to be up on the draft board in a long time, and he may not have been drafted, but he was signed by the Minnesota Vikings, which I think is a great move by the Vikings. After the government put this guy through an unnecessary ringer, saying he couldn't be in the draft, and then he could, Andre Carter is a player to watch and to root for. 
There's lots more sports to root for. F1 is back, and it led off with the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, which is a tough thing to say, but it was interesting to watch. Maybe not the most exciting race, but it is always cool to see F1 cars racing around streets and castles in Baku, Azerbaijan. And now they're off to Miami, Florida this weekend for the Miami Grand Prix, one of only three races that happen in America. There will be one in Miami, then one in Austin, Texas, and then finally, Las Vegas in the fall. So F1 is cranking up, and the Stanley Cup playoffs have also been amazing, with a team from just outside of Miami upsetting the favored Boston Bruins. Yes, the Florida Panthers shocked the hockey world by beating the Boston Bruins. But it's been an exciting Stanley Cup finals, too, even though my Rangers went out too fast and too early, and against New Jersey, which is especially painful. And here in New York, Aaron Rodgers has been making the rounds in New York City before he joins the Jets this summer and this fall. And the NBA playoffs have been so fun here in New York and around the country. LeBron and the Lakers versus Steph Curry and the Warriors, Philly versus Boston, the Suns and Kevin Durant versus Jokic and the Nuggets. And somehow, among the last eight teams left in the NBA, my beloved New York Knicks versus the Miami Heat. And believe it or not, the Knicks are rolling. We are the New York Knicks. 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 Say go New York, go New York, go. I love that song. That's from the late 90s when we had the great teams with Patrick Ewing and Charles Oakley and Anthony Mason. But this team, like that one, is one that reflects the toughness of our city. And it's going to be a slugfest of a series with the Knicks against Miami. But we finally have basketball in New York City in May again. So let's go Knicks. And let's go Independence. This May and this summer and this year and this decade, Independence are the future. And we're not alone in our independence. America is more divided than ever before. But here at Independent Americans and Righteous Media, we're working to change it. To add light, to contrast the heat of all the other political shows. And if you're among the now almost 50% of Americans who are independent, this is your show. So come get your learn on. And share it far and wide. Because our independent movement is the hope for the future that this country needs country over party people over politics light over heat disrupting the status quo and fueling a new movement that spans all across our society and that movement is growing this may and i hope you enjoyed this episode with nick troiano and learned a thing or two if you did please share it far and wide and invite others to declare their independence and stay vigilant my friends because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom and Hope is the oxygen of our democracy, so keep that hope that your elementary school teachers taught you about, or should have taught you about, and send some of that hope to Ukraine and to the leaders here in America all across the independent movement, and especially to the teachers in your community. Let them know they're not alone, and know that you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant, and we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. Stay vigilant, America. And let's go, Knicks. Say go, New York. Go, New York. Go. Go, New York. Go, New York. Go. Power. Power. Power.
by Righteous Media.